We're going to go to John chapter 4. using the new Bible that was given to me, and it doesn't turn to the passages quite the way my old one does. We'll get there. So I'm going to reread um, what I read last week, and I'll, I'll go a little bit further today. So I'll start in verse 3 once again. It says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. And then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. 
and I'll stop there. So just going back just a little bit at what we were talking about last week and this first portion of this passage again it's just it's incredible watching Jesus interact with this woman he shows up and when she comes he just simply asks a drink he starts with the most common thing that you could possibly start with I'm thirsty it's been a long day I need a drink and as soon as the conversation gets going, he just turns that to the spiritual and deals with her need, her spiritual need, and carries on from there. And so it's kind of where we're, we're going to look this morning. I mentioned last week, she brings up right away, when he asks her a drink, she brings up this issue of, for lack of a better word, this issue of racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews reviled the Samaritans that had no, they thought they were inferior. And she couldn't understand how Jesus, being a Jew, would even speak to her, never mind ask her for help with something. I was reading, I think it's Matthew Henry's commentary on this passage, and he points out to that, that passage and says, perhaps the way Jesus deals with this is the way we ought to deal with racism in our world. And there's no denying racism. There's no denying how wrong racism is. But rather than acknowledging the wrongs that have been done and going back and dwelling on the wrong, Jesus just changed the topic. He didn't even talk about it with her. He just demonstrated a lack of that racism. He dealt with her as a person who had value and who had need and cared for her. And as I was thinking about that again, I saw an article yesterday where they found a mass grave of children at one of the residential schools here in Canada. And it's a tragedy. It's a horrific tragedy when you look back at that history. And again, I... It was unrelated, and I saw another article, again, talking about um, the use of native pictures, the pictures, you know, in, in sports and, and that sort of thing where it's like a mascot, and it's a, almost a, a comic version of native culture, and it was a man asking an older native man how he felt about it. And how he just des- and the answer was very interesting as he described 
when we look at a black person, we remember it's a picture of the slavery, and we remember that era of slavery and the horrific atrocities that were done to the black people in that time. When we look at a Jew, we remember the Holocaust. And this happens in various cultures and people, but he says with the Native Americans, we don't see the history and the things that happened to them in our own land because we characterize them in this way and we've changed the way we look at it and in a way it was wrong to do that and we don't even realize the hurt that some of that causes so it's a difficult topic um, and how to move forward and I think Jesus presents the answer is we can talk all day of the terrible things that have been done and I see the anger when one person says this or that and it carries forward and so rather than trying to correct the wrongs of the past which we cannot possibly do sometimes we need to just start here and now and when we're face to face with people we need to care for those people and put value in those people they're loved by God they're created in his image just as as we are and so I think Jesus has the right attitude the right method of moving beyond that is not by rehashing all the wrong but just dealing with the person and their needs and loving them And that's what Jesus does. He, he just answers. This is, he changes the topic completely. He asks the drink. She says, how do you, being a Jew, even ask me for, a, for anything? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And he just carries on and says, if you knew, <laughs> if you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't worry about that. You'd be asking me for a drink and I'd give you living water. Salvation is sitting right in front of her. And we talked about that living water being a picture of salvation, a, a well of water springing up into everlasting life is how it's described. If you want to, if you're want to follow with me, just turn over to John chapter 7 for a moment. And there's a verse, I, and I quoted it last week, and I want to carry just, just beyond where I stopped last week. So John chapter 7 and verse 37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And verse 39 says, 
But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that had which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But it says, This he spake of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Believing, it says, He that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's That salvation is a well of water that will not dry up. And it's a picture of the Holy Ghost living in us. And what I realized as I'm looking at that is that this is a picture of the security that we have in Christ. It's a well of water that will not dry up. My salvation is secure in Christ. And brings it to that point in that last verse, verse 39, they that believe on him should receive the Holy Ghost. He's going to indwell us with the Holy Ghost. And if you want to follow, I'm just turning to the passages here. So first Corinthians chapter six. verse 19 is Paul talking to the Corinthians says what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you Jesus promised that those who believe in him the Holy Ghost would come and dwell in them which creates makes your body the temple of the Holy Ghost that lives in you. That is a part of you once you believed in Jesus as your Savior. Back in verse 15 of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 6, it says something very similar. He says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Your bodies are the members of Christ. And he's dealing with a an issue that was taking place in the church and sort of carrying on there, but he says, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. And what he's saying is that you go and take part in some sin, you're taking Christ <laughs> to that sin. You're making Jesus' body take part in sin when you do that because you are a part of his body when you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you. Verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 6, the same, same chapter. He gives an answer. He gives the reason. 
says, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus paid a price. His sacrifice on the cross was a payment for sin. And when we, by faith, believe in that as our salvation, we are purchased for God, for Christ. The payment has made for us. And we're no longer our, belong to ourselves. We belong to him because he paid for us. You're bought with a price. And this is the reason we live the most holy life that we can live is not for our salvation, but because of our salvation, because of what Jesus did for us. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about this in a similar way. In verse 13, he says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So it describes in this verse, or these two verses, our faith, our trusting, our believing in Christ and the payment for our sins that he did on the cross in whom you trusted, after you heard the word of truth. You can't trust in something that you've never heard of, that you don't know about. So we, ne we need to hear the gospel, but when you heard it, you trusted in that. It says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the next verse, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession... <laughs> We were bought with a price. God has purchased us through his blood. And you're sealed. We are secure in our salvation once we've committed that to him. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman that you'll... You drink the water that I give you, and you'll never thirst again. But we know that we might hunger, and Jesus talked about bread in the same way. That we hunger and thirst after righteousness, though. Even after trusting Christ as our Savior, we do still hunger and thirst after righteousness. Much like 1 Corinthians 6 says in that last verse, verse 20, Therefore glorify God in your body. We, we hunger and thirst to please God in our body. We're hungry and thirsting after righteousness. But we're not hungering and thirsting for salvation. It 
the salvation that is secure and sealed. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's a spring of water going forth unto everlasting life. It's, it's secure and it's overflowing. It's endless. An endless supply for our salvation. So hungry and thirsting to live the life that's pleasing to God is different than hungering and thirsting for salvation. Because once you've drank that water, you're full and you're overflowing. There is no end to that salvation for you. Go back to John chapter 4. In verse 15 it says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not. <laughs> Jesus offered, he, he said, if, if you knew who you are talking to, you would have asked me for a drink of water. And so, because she didn't know, Jesus tells her <laughs> who he is. He tells her, what he has to offer. It's offered to her. And now it's up to her to decide if she wants that water, if she wants to drink of what she's been offered. And verse 15 reveals that she indeed does want what he has to offer. He says, Give me that water that I thirst not. She wants it. She wants what he is describing to her. He, she wants the salvation that he's offering. We sometimes, I should have told Jen to, to pick this hymn, but we sing a hymn that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's a saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And that's like us with our salvation, with Christ, is you can present the gospel to people all day, but you can't force it on them. We were visiting uh, Brian and Fonda yesterday, picking up a table from them, and he was describing a scenario where somebody needs something that you have, and he's going to withhold it until they believed in Christ. He's going to teach them salvation. And I'm not going to give you this until you believe. I don't think it quite works that way. We can't force them to believe. All we can do is give them the news. We can share the gospel with them. But we can't force them. It's up to them whether or not they're going to drink. We see the, that play out throughout Scripture. Joshua 24, verse 15 is a very common verse. And Joshua is saying to the people of Israel, he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. There's a choice. You know, if you're sitting here, you ought to know that choice. You ought to know the message of the gospel. It's still up to you whether you choose to believe it 
whether you choose to trust Christ as the payment for your sin. The choice is up to us. Jesus says in John 6, verse 44, says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And of course that's a, a true statement. And we see it playing out in this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. God's drawing her. Jesus is presenting himself to her. God's opening a door for this woman to believe in Jesus. But he's still waiting for her to decide whether or not she wants to come in. Whether she wants to drink of that water. And thankfully we have John chapter 12 verse 32 because if if God didn't draw us what a miserable position we would be in. But Jesus said in John 12 verse 32 says and I if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. I'll draw all men unto me. And so we don't have to worry about whether God's going to draw or not draw a person. He is going to draw everybody. Christ offers salvation freely to all. And so when we're giving the gospel, we don't have to worry whether or not God is drawing the person. If they're hearing the gospel, that's God drawing them. And there are no exceptions. Various passages speak to this, and Romans chapter 1 speaks to it quite clearly, saying that people are without excuse. The world around us, our very existence in the world, reveals God to us. And so through that, through our, the creation, we talk about fishing, all these guys going fishing and looking at all this magnificent creation around us know of God's existence, know of God's love in the care that he put into the beauty around us and the details of all these different things. We're back in John 4, verse 16. Jesus says unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. When Jesus is saying to her, there's one, one aspect of this, is Jesus is being consistent with Scripture. And in our New Testament, uh, the teachings in the New Testament are consistent with Jesus telling her to go call her husband. And just a couple of examples of that in 1 Corinthians verse 4, 
chapter 14. Verse 35. Even verse 34, it says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. And I'm not going on about the details of that, but just to say that when Jesus tells her to call her husband, He's being consistent. He doesn't want this to happen separate from her husband. He wants her husband present for this conversation. And so she sends her to go call her husband. And First Peter chapter 3, First Peter 3, verse 7 really builds on the, the thought behind that. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. I've heard over and over and over of the number of women in churches, women bringing their children to Sunday school, and their husbands are at home. It's such a common occurrence for the wife to be the spiritual leader in a household. And that's not the way God intended it. God intended for men, and as he says right here, dwell with them according to knowledge. We ought to be, as men, knowledgeable in the scriptures, knowledgeable of God. We should be able to be the leader spiritually in our homes, giving honor unto our wives, taking care and loving our wives. But the purpose is kind of described in this, and it says, as being heirs together of the grace of life, and that your prayers be not hindered. God's desire for our marriages is it to be, we're heirs together, we're, we're supposed to bond and be in unity spiritually in our homes. And that's God's desire for the marriage, not for one person to be serving God and the other one not interested. He wants us as a couple, as a partnership, as a marriage, to be in this together, to be seeking and serving God together. And it says that your prayers be not hindered. power of unity in a marriage and being able to pray together in unity, both seeking the same thing, both looking for the same outcome, gives so much power to our prayers. And so I believe that that's 
the direction that Jesus is pointing when she says to this woman, go and call your husband. And yet, there's another aspect, and I'm not going to, to get into it today in the details. Maybe I'll just give you the outline, and I think we'll look at it closer next week. If I can get back to John chapter 4. Jesus outlines for us how to witness to people in the way that he interacted with this woman. And so now he's first draws her. He opens the conversation up to spiritual things, to spiritual needs. And when he sees that she has interest, he didn't just say, well, I'm the Messiah, believe in me, carry on, goodbye. It was, it was, there's, there's some things that are needful at this point. We can't just tell people, believe in Jesus, do you believe in Jesus? And then they say, yes, well, then you're saved. You're going to heaven. Well, what in the world do they need to believe about Jesus? What do they need to know first? And there's some things that are needful to know. And so Jesus deals with those things. Now that she's shown an interest, she wants that living water. He's going to describe this to her so that she can drink with knowledge. And the first and foremost thing is what Jesus points to here, is her sin. It says, Go and call thy husband. And she answers and said, I have no husband. And, of course, Jesus, in his deity, knows the details of this woman's life. And he says, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou, for he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Thou hast had five husbands. He who thou now hast is not thy husband. And that thou saidst thou truly. And it's the, he brought that point up because he knows the truth. And it's dealing with the sin in her life. He's bringing to light what she needs to deal with as the sin and acknowledging that sin that's in her life. And the next step, I love the way she says this. It says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Brilliant deduction, Sherlock, right? This is, <laughs> at this point, she realizes there is something to this guy. And I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she goes on and deals with this difference between the Samaritans and the Jews about where the temple ought to be and where they ought to worship. 
And Jesus deals with that. He corrects those conceptions that she has. And we see truth matters. Doctrine matters. Doctrine is very important when it comes to our salvation. And what we believe about God is very important. James chapter 2, verse 19, says, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. In other words, believing that God exists, believing that there is one creator, one deity that made everything, isn't enough. The devils believe in that information. But that in itself isn't enough. And this woman, although she believed that, she believed some things that were wrong. She didn't have the right view of God and who God is. And so Jesus needs to correct some of those details of her understanding of God. Truth matters. Doctrine matters. And so Jesus corrects some critical doctrine for her. And the third thing is what we need to believe about Jesus himself. And the woman even brings this up. She says, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. We need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is fully God, fully man. And we need to believe that him dying on the cross was necessary to pay for the sins that we've committed. There's some points that need to be clarified when we're giving people the gospel. We can't just tell them to believe in God or believe in Jesus. We need to specify some things and make sure that they understand these things rightly. They need to know the truth of the Bible and what it says who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus did for them. And so we need to make sure that we give enough information when we're giving the gospel to give the person the ability to believe the actual gospel, the whole gospel, so that salvation is actually available to them. Let's pray. Lord, again, we, as we look at the way Jesus interacts with this Samaritan woman, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand it and help us to learn from it, help us to see an example of how we can live and interact with people and how we can turn our conversations from earthly things to spiritual things and that we would strive 
to point people to you, Lord. I pray that you would help us in that, Lord. Guide us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.